Many organizations struggle when it comes to communicating and realizing their business strategies. Many workers don't even understand the strategies in their own company. Welcome to the North Star with William Ulrich. Find out where your organization stands, what you might be doing right, and where you can improve. Now, here's your host, William Ulrich. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, William Ulrich, and you're listening to the North Star. Uh, feel free to contact me by email at LinkedIn or at my website. So today, uh, we're going to be discussing the future of innovation. And uh, my guest today is Vivek Wadwa. Uh, let me give you a little background of Vivek, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into it. Vivek's a distinguished fellow at Harvard's Laws, Labor, and Work-Life Program. And he's the author of uh, five best-selling books, from Incremental to Exponential and Driver in the Driverless Car, but several others. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the work he's done in there. He's been a globally syndicated columnist and was named one of the world's uh, top 100 global thinkers by Foreign Policy Magazine and was awarded the Silicon Valley Forum's Visionary Award. Uh, you can reach Vivek at his Twitter address at uh, Wadwats, W-A-D-H-W-A, or LinkedIn at VWadwa or at his website at wadwa.com. Uh, welcome, Vivek. Did I uh, get your background right? Uh, Bill, my greatest qualification is that I've known you for like two decades or, or maybe three decades. <laughs> and, and that is my honor, uh, definitely. And in fact, um, I told you I was going to ask you a little bit about that because we have known each other uh, a long time. How long and, has it been? Uh, has it been about 30 years or so? I think it's at least 25, and I think it pushes closer to 30. Oh, my um, God. Look how you know, old both of us are. I know. I got out here about 31 years ago, and I think you were already out here, or at least you were coming through. And uh, I know, and we sat down, and, and you were an entrepreneur at, at back in the day. Um, and you've come many ways and done, done many things since, and we'll get into all that. But um, I I'm, I'm, was curious about your, uh, your journey from uh, software entrepreneur uh, in Silicon Valley and uh, into the, to where you are today. But maybe you can just give us a little background on that. I was originally an IT guy. I started off in computer programming. When I first realized that you could make money for writing computer code, I said, huh, they pay you for this? I mean, uh, I, and, and that's how I started my career was uh, writing software code. And then I eventually I joined First Boston, built some far out technology, which led me to become an entrepreneur because we spun off a company. And then we, I built two companies had a massive heart attack because what happens is that when you become an entrepreneur, yeah. you work like crazy and I work like crazy and you lose your work-life balance. And this is a lesson for everyone. Do not forget the importance of your health or your families, folks. And I had a massive heart attack and that caused me to have to rethink what I would be doing. And my wife uh, basically said, Vivek, you always wanted to be a, a, a professor, a teacher. Why don't you do that? So I joined academia, I joined Duke University, and I only had, I was a mere MBA. And for me, you know, being able to join a university was a big deal. So by the time I was done, I had to prove to myself that I was better than that. And I joined six universities. I was at six universities at the same time, Duke, Harvard, uh, uh, Emory, um, Stanford, <laughs> I mean, Berkeley, and, and uh, Singularity. But that was sort of, uh, you know, taking out all of my, my inferiority complexes in one hit. And then, um, uh, you know, later on, I mean, I lost my wife to cancer and now I'm focused on trying to cure cancer and help millions of people because uh, th that's the only way I can, uh, uh, you know, find peace now is to, uh, is to help others. So it's been quite a, you know, a ride. I've been reinventing myself many times over. 
Uh, you know, the reason why I keep giving you a hard time is because I, when I see you're stuck in the past, you're wearing a headset right now. I mean, you're, you're still, uh, you know, doing uh, advising legacy companies on how to uh, reinvent themselves. <laughs> and and yeah. I've been through like five or six reincarnations now in the same life. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I, I do look like a radio host from the uh, 1960s, for sure. They, they can't see you, but if they could see you, they would think that you were right out of uh, you know, the, uh, the radio era. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, since we are going to talk about innovation today, and, 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 and thank you for that, because I, uh, I continued working with your company, and then um, I guess what I'll call descendants of that company uh, for, for quite some time, and, and, uh, and, and a lot of that's still around. But uh, we are going to talk about innovation today, and your latest book, which I found um, uh, really uh, sort of eye-opening, was Incremental to Exponential, uh, and it, it did look at the future of innovation. So before you know, we jump into all the sort of the details, can you provide a little bit of an explanation on uh, your perception of what, what you really mean when you talk about uh, innovation and then exponential innovation? Yeah. You know, let's talk about exponentials first, because this is something that uh, people have only learned over the last year or so, thanks to the uh, pandemic, that, um, you know, we sort of assume that technology will move at a linear pace. In our, in our era, when we were working together, it took decades for any change to happen. We, you know, we had these old stodgy mainframe computers, and we still have those old stodgy mainframe computers. And then we had some personal computers and so on and so on. It took decades for change to happen. But what we don't realize is that that change is on an exponential curve. These devices we carry in our pockets, these smartphones, they have more computing power than the Cray supercomputers of the 1970s. Those you know, supercomputers we used to read about, uh, which were not available to you know, most countries, they are now nothing compared to what we have in our pockets. That's exponential progress. And what's happening is that everything that technology touches is on an exponential path. As any, as any technology, as any field of science or any field becomes information-based, it starts advancing exponentially. And that's what's happening. And many technologies are converging. So that's why in this decade, we're likely to see flying cars. We're likely to see self-driving flying cars. We're likely to see drones being delivering, uh, delivering our food. We're likely to see advances in medicine that allow us to cure not only cancer, but every other disease. We're headed to an era of unlimited, clean, and almost free energy. Uh, you know, all of these advances all happening within this decade because um, technology is on an exponential path and the convergences are happening. So I started, uh, you know, uh, teaching this to some of my old business uh, executive friends, CEOs of billion dollar companies, and they all asked for help and say, okay, Vivek, you scared the crap out of us. What do we do now? Because I would, the message I would give them is that your industry is about to be disrupted I, could, I, I, could, I can walk through almost any industry. You can challenge me on any industry, and I can tell you how in the next five or 10 years, it's going to be decimated. Most of the existing legacy incumbent companies are going to be wiped out, and a new breed of companies are going to come and uh, take over. So I started teaching them that. They said, okay, Vivek, you scared the crap out of us. What do we do now? Then I started looking at innovation methods, and I realized that like everything else, they're stuck in the past. I mean, Clayton Christian is someone I admired uh, from the time I was young because he was the guru of innovation. But what I realized was that his disruptive innovation methods had been disrupted, that they didn't account for exponentials. They were still based on linear progressions. Mm. So I started developing new methods and techniques, teaching them to CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world. And then this book, From Incremental to Exponential, is what I learned 
about it. It teaches everything from the uh, secrets of Silicon Valley. Why do we have trillion dollar companies in Silicon Valley to um, what is the secret of innovation? I mean, it really walks through how companies can reinvent themselves. You know, you talk about bottom-up innovation, and, and innovation can come from anywhere in an organization. You had an example in there of uh, Amazon engineer, and that engineer, <coughs> excuse me, that engineer um, came up with what turned into uh, Amazon Prime, basically. Yeah. Um, and I know that that's a story where it's an example of, of somebody who, who's in, out there in the organization. They're not in the innovation center. They're not at the top. They're, they're just a, they're a worker, right? Yeah, so Bill, you remember that, that. that article I sent you about uh, Kenya and uh, Nigeria, the, uh, the tech uh, park that they had built? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was really rooting for them because you want, uh, you know, um, Africa to be rising and we need them to, uh, to build very strong, robust economies. The trouble is that like uh, hundreds of other, you know, regions, uh, like, like many dozens of countries, they believed the old scrap that Michael Porter was selling and these consulting companies were selling them about clusters, industry clusters. And so what, you know, what's the magic of clusters that you build a science park, you throw some venture capital at it, you have your politicians go and cut, their, cut, cut a ribbon and announce that they've opened up a science park and you, and you wait for the magic to happen. It never happens. Innovation comes from ground up. It, it comes from, uh, from people coming together and doing you know, radical things, helping each other. This is, so I, I had uh, proven this to Chile. Startup Chile was based on um, what I had taught the Chilean government about innovation. They did an experiment which became so successful that the economists did a cover story on them, calling them Silicon Valley. And the whole basis of Startup Chile was to replicate Silicon Valley by replicating the people-to-people interaction, people helping each other, bringing in the best and the brightest from all over the world, you know, mind-melding and doing great things. This is what it takes to create innovation. It countries, in companies, in in any groups you might have, is it's people. People make innovation happen. And we have to realize that rather than focusing on industries or or venture capital or fancy science parks, the magic happens when you bring people together. And that's what the book teaches is corporate executives, how they can leverage the power of their people to build trillion dollar companies. And I think if uh, anybody wants to see it, and I, I do, I will post on my uh, my website the um, some of the content references. But it's Kenya's smart city in in the uh, published in the rest of the world, and uh, it's it's an example of how we don't want to do it. Uh, I think it's a great example. In fact, um, I think that mirrors some of the trends that uh, corporations have put together with these innovation centers, right? And yeah. they lock everybody up and they stick them off into some away far away place, away from the business. And I think we've seen those stumble quite a bit, right? Yep. I mean, I know that you've been working very uh, a lot with General Motors, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, GM and Ford all had drunk the Kool-Aid and they sort of set up Silicon Valley outposts thinking that just because they had, you know, an office in Silicon Valley, somehow the, uh, the, the magic would flow from Silicon Valley over the internet into their headquarters and transform the company. It don't work like that. Right. That, uh, you know, essentially what happens is when you send people to these outposts, they become outcasts and, <laughs> and uh, you know, no one in the company remembers them and um, no one cares about what they are. And when they hear in Silicon Valley, who gives a damn about General Motors or Walmart or you know, any of these big companies, they're legacy companies that no one wants to work for. So you're an outcast back home. You're an outcast here in Silicon Valley. It don't work like that. You know, and now, fortunately, uh, your client GM has figured it out. And now they are acquiring companies. They're trying new innovation methods. They announced, I think yesterday or day before yesterday, that they're going to be pouring $35 billion into electric vehicles. 
They had, before they had said by 2035, they're going to you know, go all electric. My expectation is that by 2027, they go all electric. The entire uh, automotive industry abandons fossil fuel-based vehicles in about five or six years from now. That's my expectation. Um, so, so there's a lot here that has to do with corporate cultures, right? And um, how, how do we change corporate culture to, to become innovative? And I, and I think it's, it's something that probably has to be done uh, from across the board. But, but do you have advice to business leaders on changing corporate culture to shift to a more innovative thinking? Yeah, very simple. Realize that your most important asset is your people. It isn't the R&D departments that are going to innovate. It's your people. People from all over the company have great ideas, whether it be in marketing, whether it be in finance, whether it be in HR, or it's your greatest scientists and engineers. You need to bring them together, you know, get them to brainstorm challenges. So that's the way we do things in Silicon Valley. We do hackathons. You, bring, you, know, you basically pose a problem and you say, okay, solve this thing. Try it. You know, very simple uh, takeaway from this. Hold a hackathon. Tell your, you know, your, your company five things that you think if you have, if, if, you know, if five products or technologies or services that if you had them, you think that the company could double its revenue over the next five or 10 years. So pose that challenge to them saying, okay, how would you build them? And then get people from all over the company together, you know, for half a day at a time in which they just brainstorm and come up with crazy ideas and they challenge each other and see what they come up with. What's it going to cost you? Nothing. Half a day, these people are goofing off half the time anyway. So if they get half a day together with uh, other groups in the company, it'll be a motivational exercise for them. And you, you never know. They may come up with some really, really good ideas, which get you to rethink the way you're doing your business. Cost, zero. The, the morale boost, tremendous. Potential upside, tremendous. Why not do it? I think so many times we see, um, and I talked about this in my opening show last week, we see that it, it, the, the senior leadership uh, uh, not really want ideas from, from the, the, the workers, the rank and file, the people out there on the front lines. Um, I'm sure you've seen this in, in Bill, in those, are the, those are the executives who are going to be unemployed before you know it. They're going to be the first <laughs> to become toast. Their companies are going to get decimated and they're going to be looking for jobs and no one will hire them because they just messed up a company. Yeah, and, and maybe it's uh, the, the boards of directors and the, and the stockholders for some of those companies need to start thinking about, uh, you know, evaluating uh, innovation in those ways. Is that, would that make some sense? I did a, um, a lecture for Canada's board of directors, you know, ICD, which is their um, uh, directors thing. And I was teaching the directors about their new, their new uh, um, responsibilities. And I told them their job now is to also advise the company on what could disrupt them that they have to now start looking at the convergences of technologies and challenging the company to innovate and to think outside the box. So the role of a director has changed as well. Um, now, there's a message out there also for the average worker, right? So th there's, there's people out there who probably do have good ideas, but maybe they're afraid to express them. Uh, any advice for the uh, workers out there? The average worker, they, they look, your job is going to change dramatically over the next five or 10 years. If you don't start learning about the advances and making yourself more valuable to the company, you're going to be unemployed. It's that simple. On the other hand, if you can start learning about the advances, coming up with great ideas, even though they may not listen to you, share them with your bosses and just keep sharing ideas as you go and tell them, look, you know, I just I had an idea. What if you did this? They may, it, they may not relate to you to start with. They may think, why are you doing this? But it eventually, it'll start sinking into the heads that maybe this guy isn't that dumb or this gal isn't that dumb. 
maybe you know, uh, uh, he or she has potential and we should be listening to them. It costs you nothing. You know, start thinking outside the box and looking at what could make your company better. The more ideas you have, the richer your, uh, um, your uh, you know, company will be because they, they'll learn from them, they'll gain from them. So you yeah. have a role in innovation. Don't think that you don't have an important role. You do because you may be the person who saves the company. Just like that engineer that Bill was talking about at Amazon who came up with the idea for Prime, right? Mm-hmm. There was another engineer at Cisco uh, who wouldn't listen to, um, uh, I mean, whose bosses wouldn't listen to him. Um, he, you know, he was not happy with their video conferencing technology with WebEx. So he went out and started his own company. His name is Eric Yuan. He started, uh, started Zoom. We're using Zoom right now. And Eric is worth, I think, about $25 billion right now. It may, it may be even more than that. Last time I checked, it was something like $25 billion. And look who has the last laugh. Yeah, it looks like uh, Zoom is, is uh, displacing uh, many of these other, other technologies that have been out there. Because Eric had a great idea. No one listened to him. He got frustrated. And he said, okay, I'm going to do it on my own. That's and- what it takes. Yeah. And, and, you know, so many times and I, I tell my daughter this, who's, you know, now been in business for a while, but I said, you know, if you have something to say, say it, put it in writing, you know, document it, put, put it out there that then you can always bring it back. Right. So um, we do have a, uh, a short break coming up here. So uh, let me go to our first break. You're listening to the North star. I'm William Ulrich and we're discussing the future of innovation with uh, my guest, Vivek Wadwa. Uh, we'll be right back, but um, uh, you can contact Vivek at his Twitter uh, Ed Wadwa, and um, we'll uh, be back in uh, about a minute or so. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at Voice AM Business. Again, that's at Voice AM Business. And stay current. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs. And you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators, and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMM Ulrich at TSG Consulting Inc.com. 
That's WMM Ulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich, and we're discussing the future of innovation with my uh, guest, Vivek Wadwa. Uh, we were talking about innovation. I wanted to shift gears a little bit over to um, some of this technology that's emerging artificial intelligence, and then uh, sort of the larger category of technology that we, um, some of us call uh, cognitive technologies, but, um, and, and some of those related advancements. Now, you, you wrote a book called The Driver in the Driverless Car, and I was telling Vivak earlier that uh, it's a page turner. Uh, what motivated this, this particular work? Um, you know, uh, Bill, Bill, driving the driverless car teaches about the basics of advancing technologies, everything from AI to quantum computing. And then it also expresses fear. It says a lot of excitement and it expresses fear because what I fear is that technology can be used for good and evil. It's increasingly being used for evil. The book postulates that we have a choice now between the amazing future of Star Trek or the darkness of Mad Max. It's the choices we make that are going to you know, decide what happens over here because we have the possibility now. You know, I talked about curing cancer and unlimited energy, all these amazing things. We also, if you look at what happened at the White House on January 6th, insurrection in, in Capitol Hill. I mean, who would have ever imagined that you would see this craziness in the United States of America, but it's happening worldwide. This is not just an American problem, it's happening worldwide, that you have social media now being used for evil. You, you now have companies profiting from spreading hatred and misinformation, and, and they, they're abusing technology. So what the book was about was to teach people the basics, all the, what they need to know, know and then to, to encourage them to start helping their policymakers develop policies that will prevent this, the, the darkness of Mad Max and will uplift humanity. That's what the book is about. It's a must read for everyone, and it's written so that grandma can read it, read it as well as you know, junior. <laughs> it's very consumable, so I highly recommend it to people. Um, so the, the reality of what's been done to date at organizations, um, there are organizations who are taking advantage of a lot of this uh, advanced technology. Um, and, 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 you know, they're, they're new, they're sophisticated, uh, but it puts a lot of pressure on organizations to respond to be able to innovate and maximize those technologies. So what do you recommend to organizations as they're looking at this technology out there today? And obviously that depends on the industry they're in, but, but what, how do you recommend that they, they sort of shift their thinking to start to go about to maximize this technology out there? First of all, they have to realize that the rules of the past don't apply in the future, that you know, just because business models worked in the past and made them successful, it doesn't mean that those business models or those technologies or those products will take them into the future. It's exponentials. Think pandemic that when uh, the coronavirus first hit, even you know, political leaders, presidents of countries uh, were you know, poo-pooing it, assuming that, hey, it can't happen to us. We only have 100 cases, 300 cases, we can control it. No, they couldn't control it. That's the power of exponentials. And that's what's happening with technology. So first of all, realize that you're gonna be disrupted. If you don't get disrupted, if you don't realize that you're gonna to be toast, you're gonna to be out of business. So number one, realization. Number two, Start thinking about opportunities. Well, if disruption is going to happen, if you can lead the disruptions, you own the future. Start looking into uh, uh, you know, advancing technologies and see what convergences might impact your industry, where it might hit you, and then start thinking about, okay, if I was a startup company trying to put me out of business, put my company out of business, what would I build? 
get your people to start doing that. Get you know, in the hackathons I talked about, do a hackathon in which you get your people to read my book, Driving the Driverless Car, and then you know uh, come up with ideas for technology combinations that could put you know your company out of business. And then maybe you start those companies. Why not? I mean, you know, if if uh, Cisco had been smart enough to to give uh, Eric Yuan his own lab, you know, give, give him a couple of hundred thousand dollars and let him uh, build uh, Zoom within uh, Cisco, Cisco's market cap would have been double what it is, uh, you know, uh, within five years or so, right? So do those things yourself. Take the risks. Be ready to disrupt your own um, your own uh, products and technologies. I thought you talked. I think you talked about uh, either the concept of a uh, you know creating a separate division or a, even a spinoff company to compete with yourself. Is that is that an idea? Yeah, that this is work? why I said you know give Eric his own uh, sandbox. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you made him part of the you know let him be, be where he was, the antibodies in the company would eat him alive. Everyone would say no, this can't be done. Why would we have this? His managers would penalize him. The bosses bosses would have a fit that this this you know this kid is doing these things which could put our business out our business. No, turn that into a separate startup within your company. You can still own 100% of it, but give it its own PNL, give it its own funding, and let them hire their own people and allow them to do whatever they want to do, even if it hurts your business. Because you know if you don't own it, it's going to kill you. <laughs> I think you have some history there, don't you? With um, way back in the day, with your first spinoff uh, software company. Yeah, we, I mean, that's what I did. Basically, was I built amazing technology at First Boston. We spun off a company, and the company was worth a hundred million dollars. You know, was had a hundred million dollars in revenue before we knew it, right? So, but that's the way it goes. That it, uh, and even within uh, First Boston, we had a separate uh, project which was cut off from the rest of the company. Separate division of the company that was building technology that would disrupt the entire company. That's how to do it. Because if you try doing the R&D uh, on these crazy new products as part of the establishment, the establishment will kill you because they feel threatened. They do. And, and people are so uh, uh, you know, worried about change and don't change this and don't change that. Or, or you know, we invested all of this in the whole theory of sunk costs. And um, then you have experts yeah. within the company. And what's an expert? An expert is someone who specializes in telling you what can't be done. Right. <laughs> yes. And those are the people that you don't want to get in the way of. Uh, and they want to stop done. innovation because if, uh, you know, uh, some new technology comes along that they're not an expert in, they're out of a job. Therefore, they'd rather stop it than, uh, you know, uh, be part of it. I think we talked earlier about the individual. So, um, you, you know, this whole idea of a lifetime of learning. Right, which includes looking at these new things and seeing what's out there and being curious about them as, as, as you know, the person who's out there in a company, right? So you, you would encourage people to do that? You got to keep reinventing yourself. The people who think that if they're accountants or they're you know, marketing managers or whatever job you might have, you think that that job is going to exist 10 years from now, you're going to be unemployed. Get, you know, start saving all the money you can because you're going to need it. But on the other hand, if you can now start learning about uh, you know change and advances and being one step ahead, you're going to get promoted and you're going to become one of the most valuable people in the company. And we talk about corporations here, and and obviously they have their own challenges. Now, in the um, in the government sector, uh, are you seeing um, opportunities, or are there are we are we taking advantage, or are some governments taking advantage of artificial intelligence, cognitive computing type technologies? Yeah, governments also doing it. I mean, I used to think that governments were backwards and dumb. No, actually, some governments are, you know, taking advantage of all these technologies and doing incredible things. There are examples all over the world of, you know, uh, some departments 
who are now reaching out and, and, and looking at reinventing themselves, creating you know, digital technologies, digital interfaces, uh, providing customer services in new ways. So governments are waking up also. In, in, uh, from incremental to exponential, there's an entire chapter on government innovation. We talked about some great examples and the lessons for uh, government uh, you know, officials to learn. So that's happening also. But again, these are small percentages of it. If, if all government was, was innovating and doing things, the world would be a happier place. But it isn't. We're talking about maybe 5% of government, 5% of large companies who really get it. The rest of them are hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, are you seeing, you know, you talked about the, um, the huge investment that GM's making. Um, are you seeing other companies uh, allocating budget investment money to, to, to uh, look at these new technologies as well as innovation? No, um, most companies are not doing it. Okay. It's a few that are doing it and, um, you know, who the markets are recognizing. And, and these companies have tremendous value. You know, interestingly, if you, if you go through from incremental to exponential, almost every company I uh, highlighted in that book now has record market caps because I highlighted the winners, the companies that were getting it. And I wrote this book well before the pandemic. So uh, it's, it's amazing that all of the companies that were able to think uh, exponentially are now worth more than uh, their peers by orders of magnitude sometimes. And I think the pandemic showed us to be prepared because you never know what's going to come next, right? Exactly. That's how it is with technology now. Um, so, so you talked about uh, uh, it's our choice of this you know, utopian future versus this dystopian future. And that, that has to do both with the individual as well as the you know, governments and corporations. Uh, do you have, what's your thinking around, around that? Absolutely. I mean, uh, corporations have to start thinking ethically. I mean, Facebook turned evil, right? Facebook was a force for good. It became a force for evil because Mark Zuckerberg and his team are obsessed with making money, even if it inflames violence. The United Nations accused Facebook of fomenting genocide with the Rohingya refugees in uh, Myanmar. Okay, so that's how bad it got. Facebook employees used to be proud to work at their company. Now, if you look at all the surveys, many of them feel ashamed. Facebook can't attract top talent anymore. Over the next few years, it's uh, going to be paying heavily for its greed, right? So the employees have a, have, you know, they need to start speaking up when they see um, the, the company getting off track. And then and executives need to realize that ethics is everything. It's a slippery slope. Then unless you start doing things in, in an ethical way, it's going to catch up with you. People talk about the, um, the, the triple bottom line. And it's not just the money anymore, but it's also uh, it, one of them is obviously environmental sustainability, but it's societal responsibility, right? And I think that's where the ethics come in. What is your responsibility back to society as a, as a company, exactly. especially large one, right? Uh, your, your example there now uh, is, is certainly one of them. Now, that's also up to us, right? So in terms of... Um, you know, whether or not we're going to use this technology, whether or not we're going to support these companies, uh, you know, that, that's really the, the, the grander part of society, right? When, when we're asking, you know, do you know who, who you're working with, who you're using, uh, you know, where these products came from, those kinds of questions, right? Right. It always starts with us, that we have a responsibility. We, we just become complacent and say, look, it's someone else's problem. Then we're going to get to uh, Mad Max. We, you know, <laughs> society is going to be ripping itself apart. All of us have a responsibility to, uh, to do what's right and to encourage others to do what's right. Others means our friends, relatives, and it also means our employers. We need to always be speaking up for what's right 
and do what's just and what will build a better future for our children? I think the pressures on on innovating um, they come from lots of areas. You talked about you know the unpredictability of what's out there. Uh, you talked about a, a rapidly changing world, but but it seems like uh, you know these advanced technologies are really pushing the pushing companies. And and as you said, if if they're not if they're not in the game, if if they're not figuring out how to use and leverage these technologies, they're they're going to end up you know becoming a relic of the past. Yeah, the disruptions are only starting right now. It's, you know, it's not, uh, don't look backwards and say nothing's happened so far, therefore it won't happen. It's like, you know, the coronavirus, uh, you know, we're going back, uh, you know, 18 months or so when we first saw hints of this in China saying, oh, it's, it's China's problem. It's not going to come to us. Um, so where we are right now is ground zero right now for exponential change. We, we, we can see something happening there and we're thinking it won't hit us. It will hit us. That's the way it goes. There's a um, sort of a double-edged sword. We talked about government earlier, but but there is a, a double-edged sword in in terms of some of the technologies that uh, governments can put out there in terms of sensors or surveillance technology, which is you know th- some some places have that more than others. Uh, you know that that can be used for good, and that can be used for negative. Bill, right? China the, exemplifies the, the, the evil part of it because if you look at what they're doing with it in Xinjiang and all over the country, it's become worse than Big Brother. That they're watching everything you do, every, you know, the, every 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 communication you have, it's become an Orwellian nightmare already for many people in China. Okay, this is the evil of technology. They're using, the, you know, the technologies manufactured in the West, stealing and copying, and then uh, using them in the worst possible ways. So this is exactly what we don't have, want to happen in the world. So, so there's a message that comes out here with, um, you know, use, use the technology, but, but use it responsibly and bring it out to society and leverage it effectively. Yes. I mean, if you can use cameras to protect women, uh, you know, when they're walking down the street, it's a good use of technology. Mm-hmm. If you can use uh, cameras to monitor traffic and to improve its flow, it's a good use of technology. If you're going to use traffic now to suppress people, to you know, to make them do what you 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 know what the state thinks that they should be doing, that's big brother. It's evil. Got it. Um, so if you bring together your thinking from uh, incremental to exponential, and then you bring together your 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 work with the um, uh, with technology and and the driverless car thinking, um, we're really seeing sort of a convergence here of the need to innovate and the uh, exponential uh, explosion of technology. Is that, exactly. is that a fair statement? Exactly. In fact, you know, I teach two-day corporate workshops to business executives. Day one is what I teach in driving the driverless car. Day two is from incremental to exponential. So because once you understand the basics of these technologies, once you understand what AI is and what AI isn't, then you know how to use it in a much better way. And once you see these technologies, understand convergences, you can say, okay, this is how my industry is going to be getting hit. And this is how I can now build a new industry, which grows exponentially. Now, I think you and I talked about a little bit before, uh, before we got on the air about, um, you know, where companies are with leveraging these technologies. Right. And are some companies, you know, waking up to it and saying, uh, you know, my competition's passed me by. I'll never be able to catch them. They're, they're doing so well. Uh, is you know, how do you, how do you gauge uh, how well people are using these technologies? Yeah, you know, AI is the best example of it. If you believe the press releases, every all these companies are using AI. That's complete BS. Almost no company is using AI in a smart way, other than maybe Google and Amazon and a handful of companies 
um, in the tech industry. No one is, because AI isn't there yet. I mean, AI is essentially pattern recognition. It's Excel spreadsheets on steroids. <laughs> it, it analyzes data and, and gives you recommendations based on the models you've given it. The, uh, the trouble with AI is that it doesn't tell you how it made a decision. So for a public company to be using it, it's crazy because they don't know how or why a decision was made. So that AI technology hasn't been developed yet. It's in development. So it'll be another two or three years before the core technologies are good enough. So all companies have two or three years now to understand the basics of AI and to uh, get with it, to start gathering the data, you know, uh, cleaning it up, developing the models, developing a vision for it. This is ground zero. It has the AI revolution in business has not even started yet. So if you think that you'll be left behind, you, you, you basically have been fooled. You haven't been left behind. The, the others are just bullshitting you. You know, I, uh, uh, we're talking about all this advanced technology, and I'm thinking of the companies that I work with. Who takes, it takes them four weeks and, and six people across three, three divisions to figure out whether or not an invoice has been paid yeah, exactly. uh, or, or whether or not an invoice needs to get sent. I, I think, you know, while people need to think about all these advanced things, they maybe want to think about what's going on in their own house and why they're so gosh darn inefficient in everything that they do. It's exactly. an incredible thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of this in the, uh, in the next segment, but um, I, I think we had an opportunity here to kind of bring together the technology and the innovation concepts. And uh, I do want to go and, and explore that in a, in a few different areas as, as we move forward in some of the other work we're doing. Um, with that, I think uh, we're going to go to a, a short break. Uh, you're listening to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. You can reach me at LinkedIn, email or website. Uh, we're discussing the future of innovation with my guest, uh, Vivek Wadwa. Um, we'll be right back after a very quick break. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs. And you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators, and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMMUlrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. That's WMMUlrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing the future of innovation with my guest, uh, Vivek Wadwa. You can reach uh, him at uh, Vivek on Twitter at uh, Wadwa. And um, I, I want to mention uh, just again that um, on my website, uh, on my radio show page, I'll list some of the, the uh, things we're talking about, uh, including Vivek's books, um, the article we talked about earlier from uh, rest of the world. So uh, we'll, we'll try to get make sure you can get, uh, get information on those. So we were discussing AI advancements before the break. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more uh, about kind of combining some of this thinking. One of them is the area of workforce readiness. Um, you know, people, it's, 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 it's a long time since, you know, my, my father had a job. He started working in the 19, early 1940s, and I think he retired in the, uh, you know, 1980s. Uh, basically, was there for life. Uh, that world has changed. You can't go take a job and assume it's going to stay the same for the next 40 years. So uh, what are companies, governments, you can also mention academia. Uh, are we preparing our workforce to adjust and adapt to innovation in some of these technologies? No, Bill, um, we are not. And that's a big problem. That's why I worry about social unrest, the, I mean, the Mad Max future. I mean, you know, take the example of self-driving cars. Right now, there's a lot of skepticism about whether they'll ever work. They will, they will work because that's the way it always goes with exponential technologies that there's you know, disbelief, things go wrong, and then suddenly they work and everyone is caught by surprise. So, um, but in the meantime, self-driving trucks are going to be hitting our roads, which means we're talking about you know, millions of jobs uh, disappearing over a period of five or 10 years. And then all the Uber drivers, once we have self-driving Ubers and you're talking about more millions of jobs, world, you know, tens of millions of jobs worldwide, what is people going to do? Then grocery clerks, once you have automated uh, uh, ro- robots that can stack shelves, and when you have uh, automatic, uh, you know, Amazon is op- just opening up um, uh, an automated uh, uh, um, uh, supermarket in, in Seattle now. And China already has many of them all, all over the place. So once you have automated supermarkets, you don't need cashiers. What do those people do? But then, you know, you talk about companies. Once they figure out uh, how they can be more efficient and start automating jobs, a lot of skilled professionals are going to lose their jobs as well. And we're not ready for it. I mean, this is what we're talking about. All this happening in the next 5, 10, 15 years. Next, you know, two to five years, we're probably safe. But after that, it starts getting very rocky and a lot of dramatic changes happening. We're not ready for it. So this is why, you know, the listeners have to take it into their own hands to start um, learning about technology advances and preparing for a future in which they will have to reinvent themselves. It's not the employer's job to, um, to re- reinvent their jobs. They have to now start developing new skills. And the good news is that it's all available online. You know, just like uh, we're now talking to people all over the world, it's not costing anyone anything to uh, do this. You know, it's practically free, right? You have all of this knowledge, almost infinite knowledge available to you online. You can learn about any new profession, any new uh, career. You can learn about any field you want to. It's all there at your disposal. We have an ocean of knowledge available to us for free on the internet. Take so advantage I- of it. And I guess the message is, you know, be, be, you know, be curious, but you're responsible. You have to take responsibility for bringing yourself along educationally. No one else is going to save you. I I don't think our education systems are are structured in a way to, uh, to support this very well. 
Bill, because yeah. we've been taught that once you graduate, you're done with education. You, you celebrate, you get drunk, you have these uh, graduation parties, and you think you're done with school. Wrong. The schooling starts now when you graduate. You have to keep learning is now a lifelong endeavor. And if you don't do it, you're going to be unemployed. You're going to be sitting at home, um, you know, waiting for your unemployment check, which isn't going to arrive. And you're going to be in a state of shock. Yeah, I talked about on my first show how I completely rethought and 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 and, and reevaluated and and my whole thinking on uh, uh, corporate and, and organizational transformations uh, 20, 25 years ago. And and it's a transition you go through, right? That you have to you have to unwire and rewire y- your thinking. But um, if people come out and they're young and and they're hungry for for knowledge, they they should pursue that. Uh, I wanted to talk about um, sort of uh, sustainability, green energy, AI, and innovation, and 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 where that's going today, and 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 maybe where it should be going these days. Sure. Um, so yeah, maybe you can just uh, comment on it because there there is a lot of technology out there uh, in terms of uh, green energy and and you know distributed solar and a lot of whole bunch of things that you know we may or may not be taking advantage of very well. But um, what have you seen out there in in Bill, the world? Uh, Yes, clean energy is something that we understand the least, even though it's happening before our eyes. The cost of solar has dropped 99% over the past 30 or 40 years. Okay? The cost of batteries has dropped 99% over the last uh, you know, 30 years or so. The cost of these, en- these uh, energies is dropping exponentially. And what happens is that uh, with these exponential advances, the price drops with every doubling of usage. With every doubling of usage, the price drops. It's a virtuous cycle. And what happens is that the technologies become smaller, faster, cheaper. So solar is becoming more efficient. You know, China right now dominates the, uh, uh, the, the current generation of solar, but there's another generation of solar coming out based on new materials, uh, you know, all sorts of nanomaterials that are being experimented with. We're going to have a new generation of solar technologies which are more efficient than anything we've ever seen before, which costs less. So in the next five or 10 years, we're going to be headed into an era in which energy is almost free. We'll be able to store it uh, not only in our houses, but within our regions. So we'll have microgrids that manage it. By 2030, uh, you know, it'll cost as much for energy as it does for the call we're doing right now. That, you know, we're transmitting all over the world for free. Um, you and I are on Zoom. And you, you could post this video on uh, YouTube and people all over the world could watch it for free. This is what we're looking at with clean energy, with solar. So the dynamics change, which means that the fossil fuel industry becomes toast because what happens is that consumption drops and then uh, uh, suddenly you have a glut and it becomes you know, a cutthroat uh, scenario. You're still going to need petroleum for plastics and a bunch of other things, but we're going to get rid of plastics also because plastics are destroying the planet. So we're going to come up with cleaner methods of uh, storing it all in the next five or 10 years. So it's an amazing future we're headed into, which is going to be disruptive. If you're listening to me from the Middle East, well, get ready, because uh, a lot of the, your economies depend on uh, fossil fuels. So you may take, uh, you know, be happy that prices have gone up now recently, but this is all temporary. Long term, we're talking about solar and wind and other clean technologies becoming inexpensive and becoming available to everyone all over the world, just like our connectivity is. That, that, that's that's uh, a great message. And um, I just uh, to remind listeners, in a couple of weeks, um, I'm going to be talking uh, to, about uh, the circular economy uh, with, with a known author on that topic. 
Um, I, I think our companies are getting the message, uh, at least some of the larger companies just in recent year or recent news, I heard that um, uh, there's sort of a refocusing on, on investments and even boards of companies like Chevron and Exxon and then some of those companies are, are starting to look like they're getting the message, would you say? Bill, Exxon is an example of what not to do. They've been fighting all this renewable, clean energy for the longest time. And what happened? Shareholder revolt. And hopefully their executive team will get kicked out because they've been fighting the future. Some of the other companies have been getting it. But still, it's, uh, you know, they just begin thinking, okay, we have plenty of time. Yeah, yes, this is happening. It's going to happen faster than you think. This is like being in the White House and saying that this coronavirus, it'll go away. We've controlled it and nothing's going to happen to it. No, uh, it's going to start happening. Things are going to change exponentially and it's going to impact you before you know it. So I wanted to talk about your, uh, your latest pursuits and, and where you're going. Uh, the, um, uh, you're working on a healthcare initiative. I know you took a trip in the first quarter to, uh, to India and um, there's a uh, healthcare initiative out there. Um, can, can you talk a little about, bit about some of the work you're pursuing now? Well, this is very personal. I, I lost my wife to cancer. She was my soul mate. She was my everything. And my only mission in life now is to um, cure cancer and to help millions of other people. And when I, I had a who's who helping me try to save her, the top scientists in the world. And after, you know, um, um, after losing her, I basically uh, got together with some of these scientists and, okay, how can we cure cancer once and for all? So what I came up with was a grand plan to, uh, to run the largest clinical trial in world history uh, to 100,000 patients, open sourcing the data, using genetic sequencing, using AI, using uh, synthetic biology, organoids, all of these amazing technologies, and open sourcing it all. So scientists all over the world would have access to the information they need to be able to cure cancer. Now, I went to Narendra Modi and I met him, Prime Minister Modi, brilliant you know, guy. I mean, for everything you've heard about him, um, he, he understood what I was talking about and really got it. And I was amazed how uh, we bonded in within half an hour and he really got it. And he told his team to support me and to, and to make it happen. So in the meantime, there was a separate group um, uh, uh, led by the, the, um, uh, uh, the managing uh, principal of Tata Trust, the largest NGO in India. And they were looking to uh, develop a distributed cancer care system to, to integrate India's broken cancer care system. So we merged our plans and the project is now called Karkinos. It's going to now help millions of people over the next few years. And we're going to get data on an uh, unprecedented scale because curing cancer, as I've learned, is simply a data problem. And with the data, we will be able to now understand exactly what's happening with this disease and we'll be able to develop customized treatments and we'll be able to prevent cancer. This is what I'm working on. And the project is already launched in Kerala, India. And uh, why, why India? Because it, America, you know, I love this country, the greatest country in the world. However, the medical system here is lethargic. It's, uh, you know, got vested interests and we can't go outside the rules. I mean, it's bureaucratic. It's like the British Raj was, you know, all these countries have, have colonial, colonial, colonial rule. This is what the medical system in America is like. So India doesn't have a legacy to protect. They're nowhere in scientific research. So for them, it's an open, wide open field. And this is the same with, with other countries all over the world. You've got no legacy interest, industries to protect. So think about innovations that can impact humanity in a positive way and don't let it hold you back. Don't think that just because, you know, the West hasn't, hasn't done it, we can't do it. No, you can do it. 
anyone, anywhere can contribute to innovation. So uh, now I'm working on bringing America and India together so we can have a joint effort to, uh, to cure cancer. And I'm getting a lot of support from both governments. So this is the beauty of, of innovation, that it can happen everywhere in the world. And if you do the right things, you will get support from all the right players. Yeah, and and you know th this is such an in incredible and tremendous cause. Uh, I think we forget every year how many people we do lose every year to cancer. Uh, I mean, the number is staggering. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has a friend or relative who has been impacted by cancer. That's how bad it is. It, it is. We got to cure it. We got to cure every other disease, and this is what I'm focused on right now. Using the technologies I write about. So right, so that there's the technology end of it, and then there's the. Um, you know, the organizing end of it. Can, can, can all of these parts work together? How do they collaborate, right? So, uh, you know, is that, is that you see that as a roadblock or an opportunity? Well, what I'm doing is I'm bringing the pieces together. I'm doing the organizing. And this is okay. why I could, you know, make this project, help this project in India and, uh, you know, uh, be so ambitious about saving the world, right? I'm also working with some entrepreneurs in Chile who have a water sanitation technology that could dramatically uh, uh, you know, reduce incidence of disease all over the world. Inexpensive water sanitation, plasma-based. It's a company it's called Advanced Innovation Center, AIC Chile. Alfredo Zalezi is the founder. I'm helping him and his team developing amazing technologies. What am I doing? I'm doing what you said, coordinating. I'm putting pieces together. I'm connecting. Uh, all of us have a role in innovation. We should use our strengths to do what we can to make the world a better place because we do have the opportunity to build the amazing Star Trek future. Everyone everywhere has a role to play in innovation. I think that's, uh, it's inspiring and motivating and I'm, I'm hoping that everybody listening uh, to this will, will, will think about these things because there is so much that everybody can do and I think it's, it's a whole matter of pulling together. Um, I, I really appreciate you uh, joining me today, Vivek, and um, uh, any, any quick closing comment? No, my closing comments are, you know, learn. I mean, uh, learn. Uh, learn. That all the knowledge is available uh, you know, on the internet. Start uh, learning about these technologies. If you can pick up my books, get digital copies of them, even pirated copies of them, I don't care what it takes. <laughs> you, you read them and learn, and then learn more, and then figure out how you can make the world a better place. All of us can uh, uh, play a role in innovation. We'll make sure they get access to that. So uh, we were talking, I want to thank my guest today, Vivek Wadwa, and talking about innovation. You can reach him on Twitter at Wadwa or LinkedIn and uh, Wadwa or his website at wadwa.com. Uh, so my uh, guest next week will be management theorist, futurist, and author of The Adaptive Enterprise, Stephen Hickel. Uh, you've been listening to North Star. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You can contact me by email, LinkedIn, or at my website. I want to thank you for joining us today. And thank again, my guest, and uh, I will talk to you next week. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in this week to the North Star. Please join host William Ulrich for another edition of the program next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll continue our discussion on strategy execution then.